0: I've always said age is just a number. It's never bothered me before. The only one I really looked forward to was 16. (laughs) That's because I could get my car. Other than that, it was just a number. A Couple of weeks ago, we were sitting there watching the news and I was struck. I said, Barbara, do you know in a couple of weeks I'm going to be 85? <laughs> 85, do you understand that? She said, Yeah. Wow. You feel any different? No. (laughs) My steps are a little slower. That's about all. I have a great doctor. He's always such a good influence. For some time now, since I've lost the weight, he keeps telling me, David, you're in fantastic shape. And he waits about five to six seconds. And then he adds, for a man of your years. <laughs> build you up and then kick the slats up." <laughs> but I've got to say that God has blessed. God has blessed immensely. May third, 1962, is probably one of the most memorable days in my life because that's the day God delivered me from cigarettes. And I can honestly stand here and tell you, from that day to this day, right now, I have not had the first desire. That comes only because of God's deliverance not because of something I've done, and I still have not quit cigarettes. When I quit them, that means I've done something, and I didn't do it, he did it. But that Sunday was a a Sunday that changed our lives so much, I don't remember the message, but it seems like it's a day that Bob and I gave our lives to Christ. We had no idea what we were going to be doing, where we were going to be serving, but we give our lives to Christ for him to use as he wants. Every church we've been in since then, we've served somewhere, teaching school, Sunday school, ushering, singing in the choir, singing in groups leading the choir, playing the instruments. I play both the piano and the organ. Uh, I was fortunate to become the church organist at the age of 14, 15, pardon me. Um, And God has used us. God gave me a great military career. Uh, Then he moved me into the ministry. He's given us four children. He's given us 11 grandchildren. He's given us 11 great-grandchildren. My other grandson that's here, Jeremy and his wife, are about to give us number 12 great-grandchildren. And I believe without spilling the beans. Number 13's on the way. (laughs) The psalmist has written, the children are a heritage of God. Blessed is the man that hath his quiver full. Oh God, my quiver overfloweth. (laughs) but I love every one of them. They are a joy to this old heart, even though I have trouble getting along with Jack. (laughs) After all this time, he's finally, he came over and took my hand Friday night, and I said, whew, what did I do to deserve this? (laughs) We're going to get along, I'll tell you. In preparation for my message, I want to mention that I'm very adamant about two things. One is, I believe the greatest hoax that Satan has perpetrated upon mankind is the theory of evolution. I don't know how that sets with you and I don't care. I believe it's the greatest lie that man has In the, when I went into the third grade, we were introduced to a brand new subject, obviously, called science. No, we weren't studying biology. This was an introduction to the word science and what it has to do with. But at the same time, we were introduced to the theory of evolution. And through the years, each one of those was expanded in my life. And I can remember looking at those pictures and being taught that those pictures, oh, this is where it starts, with this little bitty black dot, and then on up the steps to that big, ugly thing that's all fur that walks on its knuckles. But the next one was man, and I said, how can people believe that? Then when I was a teenager, I believe it was, that I found out that there are nine, or seven rather, major missing links in evolution. And I said, there's proof that it's a great hoax. Second one I'm adamant, adamant about is I'm a biblicist and a creationist. I believe this book from cover to cover. No, I did not say I understand it all. (laughs) We'll never understand it all, but I do believe it. That's what faith is all about. And I believe when we find something that God says in his word, it's important, but when he repeats that, We ought to take notice. When I look back at Genesis chapter 1, there's a little phrase there that so many people, and I've had to point it out to so many people, they skim over it, they miss it. But it's there not once, but ten times in Genesis chapter 1. And that little phrase is this. After his kind, after their kind. And as you start reading about verse 11, where it says, God created the heaven, or the, the earth, and the, the grass, and the trees, and like this, after his kind, and God created the living things of the ocean after his kind, and every, 10 times, and I got to thinking about that, what Psalm 19 one says. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth showeth forth His handiwork. When I was 10 years old, I joined the Boy Scouts. And on our first camping trip, while we were sitting around the campfire that night, the Scoutmaster was teaching us various grasses and herbs and things and what they were for and how we could eat some of them The bark on a tree and the etc. But then when it went real dark, he showed us there's the Big Dipper. And he made sure that everybody in the troop could find and locate the Big Dipper in the sky. Have you seen it? Here we are, seventy five years later after I was shown the Big Dipper, you know what? It's still there. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? I wonder if any of you have ever thought about how you transit the oceans. Because Atlas does not make a map for the oceans. There's no highways and traffic lights. How do you get from here to there? You and I could go down to New London and get on a ship and pull out of New London and head across the Atlantic to England. We need two things. That's all we need is two things. And we can go from New London, Connecticut to Portsmouth, England. The first one is a chart of the Atlantic Ocean. The earth is divided in latitudes and longitudes, and every chart is so marked. The second item we need is a sextant. I don't know whether how many of you have ever heard of a sextant or not, S-E-X-T-A-N-T. It's a scientific equipment that even Columbus used. What's it for? It's for the night when you can look through the prisms at the horizon of the stars, and you can take the reading and come to the chart, put it on the chart within five feet of where you are on planet Earth. Why? Because of the stars. Ah. What does that tell you about that? The Big Dipper's still there. The stars are still in that place so that we can navigate the oceans. What does that tell you? It tells me that there's order up there. A Big Bang is gonna give you that order. Then I look around and Psalm 19, one says, the earth showeth forth those handiwork. Oh, go back to chapter one in that phrase, after his kind, after their kind. You realize that oak trees still produce oak trees? Maple trees still produce maple trees. Apple trees still grow apples, not oranges. How about gorillas still produce gorillas? Elephants still produce elephants. After his kind is what Genesis says. The earth shows forth his handiwork. If that isn't proof to you, I don't know what is. To me, that blows theory of evolution right out the window. That's why I stand upon this word. That's why I trust that what God is. Let me just give you one, because this this really was important to me in 1989. We had a Christian school here pastor was on staff at the time before he went out to Illinois to go to school. And our grandson, Jeremy, well I think Jeremy was 12 at the time. We went over to get the phone books to distribute for East Longmeadow. When I came back with the bus, coming down the hallway, I was bouncing off the wall I asked one of the high schoolers to get me a chair. I sat down in that chair and I couldn't move. Pastor and two of the men put me in the back of the car and took me to the Ludlow Hospital. The doctor said I was having a massive heart attack. He told the family they didn't expect me to see the sunrise the next morning. I don't know who made the first phone call. I knew at that time probably 60 or more pastors in New England. And when pastors hear something like that, they start making the phone calls. And I had cards. I don't remember them come Barbara bringing them to the hospital but I had cards from Florida and Texas and California and all over New England, all all over the place. And one commonality of those cards was this. I'm praying for you. My church is praying for you. We are praying for you. I'm standing here today not because of the medicine that we have today, not because of the expertise of doctors, but because there is a God in heaven, and that God answers prayer. With that in mind, I'd like to go, we've only got about an hour and a half left. She told told some of the people at the gym I would be preaching today. Friday they were talking to me about it, and I I said, Pastors, I'm upset with him. He's only given me two hours. (laughs) Amy looked at her mouth was wide open. you what? (laughs) Yeah, he's only given me two hours. Is that the whole service? I said, no, that's just me. Anyway, I'd like to share a verse of scripture with you that I believe is the core of the Bible. I've said these others to prep our going into John 3.16. If you'll Understand, I use the King James, not because I think it's the only one that's available, but because I particularly like the language of the King James. I find it very intriguing, very interesting. So uh, bear with me. As we go into that verse, and I've called this verse the greatest, We have to be careful when we use a word like that, and I often say words are so very important. Because when we use the word greatest, it needs needs to have some meaning. For instance, the Red Sox were the greatest baseball team last year. Are they going to repeat this year? Only if they play in the Dodgers. Thank you. Oh, by the way, the Patriots were the greatest football team last year. Are they going to repeat? Yes. Only if they play the Rams. Oh! It's my turn to have fun. But as we look at John 3.16 and the greatest, I find these to be the greatest all the way back, all the way now, and into the future. Number one, for God, I find this to be the greatest lover. I've chosen that word because of the context of the verse. I could also use the word personality. And I got thinking about that word, personality. Did you ever try to define certain words? Because you, were, you use the word personality now and then. But what do you mean by that? She has a bubbly personality. He has a mean personality. What do you mean? How is that displayed? When I use the greatest lover, how does, how does that equate Does the Bible have anything to say to explain what these words are? Well, how about the psalmist when he said, God said, I will guide thee with mine eye. When we were in Puerto Rico, our pastor had four children, all girls, and every service they sat right there on that pew. At that time, the oldest one was 10. In those three years, I never heard the pastor speak to those girls. Their attention span is about 2.3 microseconds. And as little girls, they get to giggling and poking each other I said, Pastor never spoke. He just stopped. <laughs> All's quiet on the Western Front. <laughs> when you come to Genesis, Genesis tells us that in the cool of the evening, God came down and walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He spoke audibly to them. Did they understand that? Well, what about Cain? He came to Cain and said, where's your brother? Did Cain hear him? He must have because he said, what, am I brought my brother's keeper? He spoke to Adam. I mean to Abraham. Three times he told Abraham he and Sarah would have a child. The third time he spoke to Abraham about that, Abraham was 98 years old. Sarah is 10 years younger, I'm 85, 98, you're going to have a son, scripture tells us that at 99, Sarah presented Abraham with Isaac. In the New Testament, when the Mount of Transfiguration Peter, James, and John were there and as Elijah and Moses were transformed before Jesus and talked with him when they died and departed those three men heard this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased oh wait a minute over in Second Peter, Peter again repeats that and says, we were witnesses. And he repeats the same words. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Did he speak orally? Oh, I think he did. John 10, Jesus said, you're in my hand. You're in my hand. My hand is in God's hand. Write in your Bible. Right next to that verse. Double security. We're in God's hand and He's in in Jesus' hand, He's in God's hand. One of the verses that has brought me a lot of comfort, because in the Navy I was in communications, which is when you're at sea, it's a madhouse. In the ministry, it's a madhouse at times. You need comfort, you need solace, you need Understanding. One of the great verses I find is in Deuteronomy chapter twenty nine, which says The eternal God is your refuge. You understand what a refuge is? When we get all tense and and and, and about bent out of shape, we need a refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. How many times have you come home and your wife is not a dealer? you put your arm around her, you can feel that tension leave. When I need something, God is there. I go on from there and I find the greatest decree so loved. A few short years ago I was introduced to a couple of boys that were mental and physical wrecks. I felt so sorry for them. Seems like nearly every time Pastor would stop the car, they would say they would ask, are we going to another house? What insecurity for a child of three years old. Those boys were over to my house yesterday. They came in this morning and hugged me. What's the change? What's the, why, why is there stability? It's because Pastor and Aaron have shared love. It's not the house they're living in or the bed they're sleeping in, or the clothes on their back, or the food in their belly. It's the love that they've shown. And love will break down barriers. Love will change anything if we just give it a chance. After that, I come to the greatest act. For God so loved, uh, he gave. Think about giving. So many times when we heard it in the Sunday school class this morning, well, I gave her this and she didn't give me, so I won't give her anything. That's not giving, folks. When you give, that means without strings attached. I wonder if you really understand what giving means in the Bible. For God so loved, he gave. How much did he give? How much did he love? In Revelation, we get the idea that there's coming a day when the last human will be born. I take Adam, and I put him out on this finger. And I take the last one in Revelation and put him out on this finger. And this is how how much God loves us. how much God loves us. He gave. He gave uh, who? his only begotten son. Here is something that really thrills me when I think about that. Because we have in our midst a, a physical picture of what salvation is in the Bible. Zachary is pastor's only blood son. He's got two other... No, 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 no. I said he's... Zachary is his only blood son. Gabriel and Michael are adopted. Do you realize that the process of redemption uh, so at, and, uh, it, it all refer, comes to salvation in the Bible? And what is... The Bible tells us salvation is the process whereby he takes us out of the family of Satan and puts us into, yes, the family of Satan. Read your Bible and takes us and puts us into the family of God. Oh, I have a couple of verses I'd like to share with you about that because when I think of that, I look at Zach being the only blood son, but I look at Gabriel and Michael being adopted. I look at us, Jesus is God's only blood son, but we are adopted. Listen to this, Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 16, uh, the Spirit himself shall bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now listen. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Does that mean anything to you? When I look at this family and I see Zach as the only blood son, but because of the process of adoption, Gabriel and Michael are now in the sun, co-heirs, or joint heirs, rather, with Zach, which tells me in that same manner, when we get saved, when we ask Jesus Christ to come into our heart and save us, we become joint heirs with Christ. That ought to make your socks run off. And I'll throw you right to your toes. I mean, to think that we're not just going to heaven. We're going to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Think about that. Oh, you don't really mean that. Oh, I guess I don't. But it's in here. It's the same book that tells me about God's creation. It's the same book that tells me the oak tree still bears oaks. Maple trees still produce maple trees. This tells me that I am a joint heir of Jesus Christ. If that is true about an oak tree, then this is true about me. And it's true about you. His only begotten Son, that whosoever... This, my friends, I call the greatest difference. I would ask you right now, every one of you, look around this room. Right now, look around this room. see what, look what you see. Please, look around. Tell me. And I realize we're all male and female, so don't throw that at me. But do you see anyone here that looks just like you? Do you understand what whosoever means? It is the greatest difference. And why that is so important, I've been told by so many people down through the years, I'm too bad to be saved. You don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. Neither does God. God said, I give my son for whosoever. In your park, whether you accept it or not, greatest difference. I was thinking of that as I've talked to people about it, and when they've told me they're such a bad sinner, I said, when Israel went in to the spies into uh, Jericho, who kept them? Who hid them? A woman by the name of Rahab. What was her Shall we say business? She's known as Rahab the harlot. When you come to Kings and Samuel, you'll, you'll find King David. At about the age of 45, he gazed upon Bathsheba as she was taking a bath. And to me, he forced her. I believe that's the way scripture reads, that's the way I get it. But also he committed adultery, and when his, her husband wouldn't do what he wanted, premeditatedly, he had Uriah killed. I go on over to the New Testament, and there I find a Jew, that at the time was the most feared and most hated Jew of the first century. His name was Saul of Tarsus. And one day on the road to Damascus, with orders to get more, to capture more people that called themselves Christians, he would put them in chains and ropes and bring them back for sport for the Romans. On that road, he was confronted with the claims of Christ, and he fell on his knees and he cried out, oh, God, what would you have me to do? That's the Apostle Paul that wrote at least 14 books of the New Testament. Don't tell me you're so bad that your sin is so bad that God can't forgive it. God is in the forgiving business. And God loves you today and God loves you so much He gave. He gave the ultimate that whosoever next word is believeth. And I call that the greatest simplicity. New Testament tells us we need to come to Christ as a little child. Seems like we've had a lot of little children in our family. And I've seen every one of them. I saw Jack just a Friday with Mama. He wanted her to pick him up. He didn't stop and say, can you handle it, Mama? He just said, oh my. He believes that Timothy, Tiffany and pick him up. He didn't question it. That's the way God wants you to come to Christ in simplicity like that. Just accepting Christ for what he said he did. And then the greatest person is in him. And I think of that and think about Christ. Then I think what the next portion says, shall not perish. Here to me is the greatest destruction. Yes, I believe what the Bible says about eternal damnation, about hell and the horrors of hell. But personally, probably the most important thing to me that I would lose out on is being in the presence of God. The greatest, the greatest. Next, I come to the greatest certainty. I've asked people of Are you saved? Do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I think so. Oh, I hope so. Oh, I had an experience in church one day, and I think maybe that was it. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible gives us the greatest assurance in the little word have. You accept Jesus Christ as your savior and it's not a progressive thing. It's something that happens right now. You ask Christ into your heart, you're saved right now. You're off the road to hell and on the road to heaven. What a thrill that is to me to know that my sins are forgiven. To have the joy that if I do sin and that God knows I come to him and he forgives me. I think of the blessings that he's given. think of the gifts that he's given me. And I thank him that the most precious gift that God has given me is my salvation. But to me, the second greatest gift that God has given to me Woman back there. Most beautiful, wonderful woman that I could ever call my wife. And I have the assurance that it's not just this life where we're going to be together she too has accepted Christ as her Savior. And I am thrilled, I am overjoyed to think that for all eternity we'll be together. What a joy as I come to that and then the last is the greatest possession: everlasting life. Do you believe in everlasting life? I do. Why? Because the same book that tells me all these other things. It gives me the assurance of creation, that gives me the assurance that I have a God in heaven that loves me, that cares for me, that will answer my prayer. I could stand here for the next six hours and just relate to you, one after the other, of answered prayer just in my life. Have you experienced answered prayer? Do you know what it is to have God answer your prayer? Can you feel his presence? Is there something in your soul that speaks to you about God? That draws you unto him? Let me tell you something. Right now, if you've never accepted him as your savior... as Deuteronomy chapter 33 says. He stands here with his arms, outstretched for you. And he says, come. 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 Whatever you've done, whatever you've done, I'll forgive you. Just trust me, believe me. I thank God and praise Him every day for what He's given me. He's given me 85 years. He's given me the opportunity to preach the gospel. But he's also given me the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior. Have you accepted him as, as yourself? you know for sure right now that if you were to die you'd go to heaven if you don't have that assurance I would ask you come up and take Pastor by the hand and tell him you want that assurance if you've never trusted him as your savior To trust him today, reach out and take him by the hand. He's here for you right now, Pastor. Would you take?